Hello, dear friend, and welcome. My name is Cynthia Alice Anderson, and I'm the owner and founder of the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. I have been so honored to be able to offer these programs several days a week, and these programs I know are inspiring, they are supporting, and they are uplifting your life's journey. I want to see that continue, and I honor you for being a part of making that happen. So for over five years, we've been able to offer these programs, and we want to continue to be able to offer them. So over the next 90 days, we are raising $9,000, and that's going to get us all the way through the end of the year. So I ask you to consider taking the time to support the channel that supports you. And again, our goal that we're asking you to be a part of is $9,000 in 90 days. And we look forward to hearing from you, friend. We're honored to support your journey. And we always are lifting you in prayer for God's highest and best in your life. Blessings on the journey, dear friend. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Welcome to the weekly message from Unity North Tampa, presented here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. Today's message is Religion and Homosexuality, and was recorded on Sunday, May 1st, 2022. I'm reading from the Gospel of John, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning With God, all things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. Did you hear that part? Let's read that again. All things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Can I have an amen? Oh, you know, that's one of my favorite phrases. Because we're saying, and so it is. And so it is. So that was from the Gospel of John. I wanted to start right there. That that gospel is often called the signs gospel. It's often called the metaphysical gospel. Sometimes it's called the mystical gospel. You know why? Because scholars don't know what to do with it. It's so mystical and so different from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, right? There's not even a birth story in John. This is the birth story I just read. In the beginning was the word, which in Greek is what? The logos, right? The logos, L-O-G-O-S, which if you're in Hinduism, you would say the om. That's the logos. You see how already there's no separation, what I'm saying? Right, so this is how John is written. So I wanted to start there because no matter how you interpret John 1, 1, 1, 1 through 5, God is in everyone. Will you say that with me? God is in everyone. It's so simple, is it not? So today we, we have our big topic of religion and homosexuality. I say a big topic almost jokingly because I forget I still have to have this conversation. But I want to have it because, as I mentioned earlier, so many churches use the Bible to condemn and shame. And the Bible is supposed to be a book of hope 
and love. You know, uh, historically, the Bible was even used to uh, support slavery as well. Are you aware of that? And a couple of the same scriptures that are used to condemn uh, uh, homosexual men and women are the same scriptures that are used to say that slavery is okay. Some of the exact same scriptures. So we want to see what the Bible actually says. And we're going to see how to learn a little bit about how to look at an ancient text today. And you're probably going to find out some truths you don't know. And every time, friends, I talk about this, every single time, I am gobsmacked. Because I forget, I forget one important point. I might say it more than once because I don't want us to forget it. The word homosexual was added to the Bible in 1946. Did you hear that? Like, it was not in the Bible until 1946. Hmm. You say, how can that be? We'll get there. We'll get there. So, uh, number one. There we are. Number one. So, in the Bible, there are seven passages that deal with homosexuality or what we think deal with homosexuality. Seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's all. There's four in what we call the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. There's three in the New Testament. And it's, I think it's really important to look at because um, what I notice about the scriptures is the thing that's important gets repeated over and over and over. Raise your hand if you've ever noticed that. But right, so there's more than one birth story in there. Yeah, there's more than one birth story. In every single gospel, there's the feeding of the 5,000. There's even a feeding of the 4,000. But, but uh, love is mentioned in the Bible nearly 700 times. But this issue that supposedly is so big, that is supposedly, if, if you're a, a gay man or woman, you're an abomination to God, is mentioned seven times. But that was not even mentioned until 1946. Do you find that interesting? Say, hmm. Hmm. I have a friend that uh, is a film producer, and he, he did a documentary called For the Bible Tells Me So. And in that movie, um, he interviews people on the street. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? And people go, oh, I don't know, but it's wrong. <laughs> he goes, where is it? And they go, Pfft. Who knows? So you see how thoughts and attitudes get perpetuated that are outdated and not based in Scripture? I can't find it in Scripture the way we were taught it because of how we all interpret the Bible now. So let's go to number two because I'm going to spend a lot of energy on number two, three, and four. So here's how uh, the Bible reads. So well, let me say it this way. There, scholars say the problem is that it it says something different from how it reads. <laughs> that that the early that the early church kind of had it right when they said, "Don't give the Bibles to the common people because they don't have the education to understand 
what it's really saying. That was one of the reasons people did not have Bibles. Because you have to understand time and culture and history to understand what these things mean. So if we read the Bible in Leviticus, which is one of the, I call them one of the seven clobber passages. If you read in Leviticus, every one of us in here is an abomination. You know why? If you eat pork, you're an abomination. If you eat shellfish, you are an abomination. If you work on Sunday, you are an abomination. Are you hearing this? And yet, I, and I grew up in the South, so, you know, I may have a different experience. One of the favorite things for pastors to do is hold their Bibles, and I don't want anybody to get triggered when I do this, hold their Bibles and say they're an abomination. Friends, none of us are Levitical priests. The book of Leviticus was written by Levitical priests. The first five books of the Bible are based on four different sources. I know, I know this is not, you know, the history of the uh, Hebrew Bible. But we have to understand, who was this written for? So it sure reads that way. So, so there's several ways to interpret the Bible, right? There's literal. Say it with me, literal, literal. There's metaphorical. Say it with me, metaphorical. Or there's metaphysical. Say it with me metaphysical. So, of course, we interpret metaphysically, which means beyond the literal words, right? Meta, beyond physical, yeah, the physical words. So, when you try to do it literal, as Don, Reverend Don so beautifully said last week, you kind of get into trouble, because if you say every word of the Bible is true, and you, you, you try to prove when creation happened by the Bible, well, then you'd say God was wrong. So that the creation story, the way it's written, was written to a specific people at a specific time to help them know their holy origin. It wasn't about that date. See, we don't understand that in our culture because it was a tribal culture that moved. I, I can just imagine sitting around a campfire. Daddy, how do we get here? Well, you know, long ago, before there was anything, it was God. You see, see that? Are you feeling that with me? You feel that? Yeah, yeah. My Bible teacher at Unity Village said, think about that. Think about that. He said, well, aren't your people tribal? I said, yeah, I got some Cherokee roots. He said, how do you tell a story? I said, different group, different story. He said, exactly. Why do you think there's two creation stories and not one? See, so when you take the Bible literally, you're going to miss something because it's not about the literal story. It's about what the story is giving you in terms of a teaching, in terms of holiness. So we start to, once we start really understanding how the scripture was written, we say, oh, we're not punished for our sins, but by them. You know, because you know, I'm fond of saying in unity, we're not miserable sinners, we're what? Happy sinners right? We, we, we know that if we get out of alignment with what God has for us, that there's going to be a consequence. But we're not waiting for God to. If we do something wrong, we don't have to, you know, get out of the way of the lightning bolt. 
That's, that's an old, old way of viewing spirituality and the divine. So think about that. So, so if you go literal, you're in trouble. So metaphorical, it helps. But metaphysical, now I think we're really getting somewhere. Because when we look at the Bible metaphysically, we say, I'm all that. So like if you were looking at the story of like, let's say, David and Goliath, if you looked at it literal, you'd say, well, that David saved the Israelites from the Philistines. And that's the history. And that's the story. And maybe God will help me. Well, see, you're already getting into metaphorical. You start interpreting it metaphorical and you go, well, maybe there's something in me that's like David. And that when I have faith in God, I can take out things that are threatening me. But when we go metaphysical, you know what we say? Those Philistines are my ego. That Goliath is my ego. And that David is my Christ self. You see how it deepens and expands the awareness. So, when we look at what the scriptures mean in those holiness texts, in the Leviticus texts, in the Levitic, in the in the Genesis, it was about your 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 Jews, your holy. We want you to be separate, and so that idea of abomination was you want to be set apart. Like in other words, this is not our people and our culture. We don't do this. But the word that got translated. To homosexual mean meant incest, sexual perversion of that nature. So when you get really old script, old Bibles, that's what they say. They don't have that word homosexual. And a couple of translations, I believe, never did put the word in. So for me, this is a very freeing thing to know. Most of us taught that the Bible was written, uh, and there's never been anything changed. That isn't true. That is not true. Now, having said that, does it mean we don't look at the Bible? Friends, have you ever seen a unity minister any more than me use the Bible? Some of you were like, for goodness sakes, is she going to go to the Bible again this week? You see how I love the scriptures, but I had to come all the way back around to it. Because the scripture was used to demean and shame my whole life. I went to a Christian school where, you know, the, the rules were really something. The Bible was actually called a sword in my school. When we looked up the scriptures, they'd say attention, and we'd go like this in our desk. And they'd say, draw swords. We'd say, Phew. And they'd say, Matthew 1.1. One, one. We'd say, who can get it first? That's how we were learned to treat the Bible. So what was nice about it is that it, it taught us to respect it, but it also taught us to fear instead of receiving guidance and hope for our lives. So what happens if you're constantly told, right, that you're not good enough and you're an abomination, well, pretty soon you begin to believe it. You know, the suicide rate in the gay community today is unbelievable. Because they've believed the lie of churches should have been places of peace and hope and love, and instead they were places of shame and non-acceptance. So in unity, historically, we are a place of acceptance. Now, having said that... Um, 
at Unity Village, uh, they were the last to come along on this ride. It, it, it's been a, and same thing with, uh, with racism as well. It's hard to believe that with our teachings, that's true. Till 1968, blacks could not swim in the pool at Unity Village. That's a fact. But once that shifted, it shifted big. But that's history. That's the truth. Even though I've been in ministry for 30 years, my unity ordination was in 2003, and it was my class that brought to the attention of the leaders, like there's no diversity statement for all of unity. <laughs> That's 2003. Even though ministers had been performing holy unions all, the, all around you know, the world. So as a movement, you're in a church that sees that all are children of God. As my friend says, she says, my grandmother said all means all, and that's all, all has ever meant. All. Amen? So we're all God's children. It doesn't matter what color we are, what race, you know, nothing. That doesn't matter. What is your culture? It doesn't matter. You are God's friend. You are God's. No matter what anybody's told you or what limit you think you have or what, what, how grand you think you are, you are God's. No matter your history. Right, and, and in the scriptures, don't you see how people are always trying to get Jesus to judge? You remember how they tried to get him to stone the woman? You remember that? Jesus said, I don't condemn you. We don't know exactly what happened, though. We're, do, we're, we're told Jesus goes down and, like, does his little finger on the sand. Anybody remember that story? I should have looked it up before service. They're trying, trying to get him to condemn her. You know what I think he did? I think he went on the sand and wrote all the men's names she'd been with the night before. <laughs> and he said, neither do I condemn thee. That's Jesus himself, friends. We've got churches acting like they're better than Jesus himself, or higher than Jesus himself. God says, do not judge. That's my job. Right? So, in unity, we know that all are God's children, no matter what your history, what your past. In my career, I've counseled people that would not be welcome in most churches. But, they were seeking to live a spiritual life. Some of them had worked and sold their bodies the night before, men and women. But then when they begin, began to know who they were, that stopped. See, Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. So, friends, all God's children. Say that with me. All God's children. So, I want to go to the next slide because, um, you know, uh, many people say, you know, we're under grace, not under law. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? Under grace, not under law, which is which means we're in the New Testament now. You know, it's not about Old Testament, right? So the Bible, as we see it in unity, is this development of consciousness. And Jesus was the highest consciousness we know, was known as Jesus the Christ, which means, right, the anointed one, son of God. So, you would think 
if this issue of homosexuality were so big, Jesus would have lengthy teachings on it. So when I, I've done this, uh, I used to be asked to do this on a regular basis. I did it at the church in Phoenix. I called it, um, I think I called it the Bible and homosexuality. We had people, hundreds of people. So the church held about 650 people uh, in Phoenix. And there were, we had three services there. It was a really big church. You know, we had about 12 or 1,300 on a Sunday. So anyway, I did it. And everybody came in. They got this little booklet. And the booklet was, had clouds on the front. And it said, what Jesus said about homosexuality. And people sat down and opened it up. And you know what was in it? Blank pages. And they were like, aha, funny, funny. I said, nothing funny about that. That's truth. They said, but nowhere? I said, you got to read your Bible, friends. Know what's in there? Jesus never said anything. Uh, I think this is great. This is a quote from Jimmy Carter. Uh, I have to quote him. He's a fellow Georgian. No matter what your political affiliation, he's my home state. He said, and, and many of you who know about Jimmy Carter, you know, he's, a, he's like a staunch Baptist, grew up in the church. I mean, has taught, uh, he still teaches uh, a Bible uh, Sunday school today. He said, homosexuality was well known in the ancient world well before Christ was born, and Jesus never said a word about homosexuality. In all of his teachings about multiple things, he never said that gay people should be condemned. That was in 2000 and, I think that was 2007, that quote. It went crazy, it was like went viral on Twitter and all, all that stuff. It's even been fact-checked. This is somebody who studied the Bible his whole life. He's got no, you know, no reason to say something like this other than, friends, God is for everyone. Will you say that with me? God is for everyone. Right? God is for everyone. So what we, what I seek to have unity be, and this is my fourth point, is the church of the 21st century. We are the church of the 21st century. Will you say that with me? We are the church of the 21st century. What does that mean? Well, that means there's room for everybody. That means we want to create a world that works for all. It doesn't matter if you think you're Baptist or Catholic or whatever it is. This is the church for you. It doesn't matter if you do yoga and uh, go to a Buddhist uh, practice in the morning. You still come here at 11. We, we don't care if you go to the Buddhist temple and do meditation on Tuesday night. This is still a place for you. And it's not that we don't have teachings. Our teachings are so broad that it is so simple. There's one presence and one power God, and that presence is in you. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for in unity because you already know. Because that presence is in you. You want a church that tells you what to do, that's a church down the street. There's plenty of those. If you want a church that makes you feel safe because we're condemning anything unlike you, that's there. But that's not here. That's not here. Yeah. Yeah, that's not here. And so what I've noticed over my years in Unity, I've been in Unity so long now. It was late 90s when I found Unity at Seattle Unity. And what I've noticed, you know, we still hold to this being a healing movement because, you know, our founders both needed healing. For them, it was physical. But you know what I notice? People who have just gone through the divorce find their way to Unity. People who were given a 
a life-threatening or life-ending diagnosis come to unity. People who've been abused by the church come to unity. Because they go, you know, wherever I've been, I've heard I'm welcome here. People who need prayer come to unity. Did you know that over 90% of the people that call Silent Unity for prayer are Catholic? Yeah. They just need prayer. So, friends, uh, the reason why I'm saying the church of the 21st century is with how much our world is hurting, our church should be full every single week. Now, of course, now the COVID numbers went back up a little bit, so I think people got a little nervous again. But, but, uh, but, and we were full. By the way, we were over 100 for Easter. That's, that's a record. Yay, yay, yay. So, but it's going to depend on us building this. It's going to depend on each one of us inviting our friends, inviting our neighbors, asking people to watch online. My last church, people watched online for a whole year before they ever came. They said, I just wanted to make sure I was welcome. It seemed too good to be true. That's what people have told me. Those people are often artists, filmmakers. People of all kinds have told me that. Black, white, people in mixed race relationships have not been welcome at their churches, friends. Huh? Is this, what year is this? In unity, you are welcome here. So unity is a place of healing, a place of wholeness, yes, a place of love where we know we are all God's children, right? Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Unity North Tampa here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com. This message is copyright 2022, Unity North Tampa, all rights reserved. Our theme music, The Light of God, is composed by Shannon Croft and used with permission and available at shannoncroft.com. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.